Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. As always, I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Equalizer contributor John Halloran, and we have two semifinal upsets, question mark, to talk about today. Maybe. We'll get into whether or not. One of them, certainly. One of them was a pretty big upset. We'll talk about uh, the other one and see what we think. Um, but yeah, uh, how's it going, John? How uh, how was your Sunday of soccer? It was good. I had a lot of fun watching these games. Um, there are times I think when you when you watch playoff games, big games where both teams just kind of sit in and it's kind of a boring zero zero, drag it out. But these were fun games, and I think the fact that both of them had relatively early goals helped mm-hmm. open them up and make them a lot more fun than uh, than some games like this typically are. Yes, agreed. First half goals, I think, made a big difference um, in giving the tenor of these matches something a little bit different from last week, which were also quite two close games, but no breakthrough until quite late in the match in both matches. Um, So we're just going to go in order. We're going to talk about the first game and then the second game. So one overall statement before we get started is last week, the home team won both games. And I thought maybe we were just going to see a clean home sweep of the whole postseason going into the championship. That is not what happened this week. We had both visiting sides come in with the wins. So one general question before we jump into the games themselves. John, watching these games, this is the first time the lower seed has ever come into a semifinal off of a win, off of a postseason win. Mm, Um, It's called rest or rust, right? Do you think we saw a little bit of getting bit by the bye, or is that not what happened? It might have. You know, the the Chicago pregame, both of the, the Red Stars players talked about wanting to be played in and not minding having to play last week and not thinking that the bye was necessarily an advantage. I think, I think the first game probably didn't really matter. I think that game was yeah. very even. Yes. But I think with Portland, you probably could say there was a little bit of rust because they just did not look as sharp as they normally have this year. Yeah, or even, well, we'll get into the second game. But yes, I think that um, it made them less able to handle maybe some of the adversity they had in their starting 11 is maybe my take on it. Um, but let's start with the first game. Let's start with uh, number two versus number three. O.L. Rain hosted the Washington Spirit. In a, a soggy match, we'll say. We got that, that late <laughs> fall Pacific Northwest weather. It rained a lot. Shout out to the grounds crew at Cheney Stadium that even got the field playable. So this game actually opens with a goal by O.L. Rain. Very, very early goal by O.L. Rain. Matched pretty quickly by the Spirit. So third minute and then 12th minute. And then they would get the game winner on something of an audacious kind of lofted ball by M- Ashley Sanchez in the 68th minute. So first question is this. We saw some of the best of what the Washington spirit can be in this game. Mm-hmm. But Ola Rain sinks a couple of those early chances and not just yeah. the one, and it's a very different game, right? Yeah, because about seven minutes after Lesomer had scored, Pino had uh, another chance. Fishlock had played her in with a one-touch pass. And Pino had beaten Kelly O'Hara and then dragged a shot wide. Obviously, Le Somer had a had a breakaway just before the halftime whistle. She puts that one and it's different. And then in the second half, Pino had a good chance. Marjan had a good chance. Um, Quinn had a good chance. Le Somer had Somer one had... that went just wide. like just Right. So I think they, they had four really good chances in the second half as well. It's I think that was an even match and probably a little bit of bad luck for OL and probably a little bit of good luck for Washington, especially with Sanchez's finish. And I don't want to take anything away because it was spectacular. Yeah. It was one of the sickest finishes I think you'll ever see. Um, but the the skill level on that is about a you know 99 out of a hundred. Sure. You call it unlikely. I think I think some of the yeah. early XG data has already come out and it was heavily favored for the rain um yeah. in terms of quality chances. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, and they just could not sink them. Um, okay, a couple, couple of questions about that. So last week we saw this battle of the goalkeepers between Aubrey Bledsoe and Casey Murphy. In this game, I don't know if this is O.L. Rain just wanting to place things well, but some of these shots were maybe a little bit overplaced in that they went just wide, right? But that's what mm-hmm. you have to do if you want to beat Aubrey Bledsoe. She's a right. very good goalkeeper. 
On the flip side, that Sanchez goal was amazing. But Sarah Buadi did really poorly on that as well. She really, she didn't even get her arms up to contest that ball. She was so kind of flabbergasted by what happened. On that particular goal, John, if you're a keeper, do you have to do something there? Or was that just weird enough that it's understandable why she couldn't react to that? I think on those second chances, you get caught because you've made, you've already made your decision on the first ball. And then when it comes back in, your feet maybe aren't set or your positioning isn't where you'd want it to be. So you're kind of like in this fish out of water position. And, um, and Sanchez made the most out of it. Yeah, it is a little bit. I, I know Megan Klingenberg does this a lot, which is these attackers. The really good one is they will also intentionally change the weight of, of what they're working with in goal to try to flip things. So if maybe you're expecting a harder shot across the face of goal or you're expecting something different, they will intentionally loft something with a little bit less pace to try to throw people off. So I do think that that is also part. Of, I mean, it was just a great it was a good shot. And we've seen Ashley Sanchez it's maybe once a year, you know, where she's able to do something quite like that. She maybe has had two this year, um, but just that, that freedom of ideas. And that's my, this is actually my next question matchup between these two teams. Um, and we'll get into the tactics in a second. Cause I do think that there was one particular sub that the rain made that I think uh, was killer um, a bit of a mistake by Laura Harvey, but um, Washington is very young and mm-hmm. With the injury to Tori Huster, they got younger. They started a rookie yeah. in her place. Um, and then they've gone with Tegan McGrady at, on, on the outside back, which I agree with. I think that McGrady is, is very talented. However, we saw McGrady get kind of blown up on that first Lace Lamar goal. She lost, she, she lost who she was supposed to be tracking. But then on a couple other chances that the rain got where they did kind of get in behind, I thought McGrady did much better. She kind of calmed down into the match. Do you think that Washington has hit kind of this good balance of fearlessness that comes from this team being so untested, but also they've been kind of do or die in this last third of the season. So maybe they're used to those expectations. I don't know. Just thoughts, thoughts. I I, I feel like they move differently. They're a very young team. They move like a young team. I just and I'm just interested that by that. It's probably an oversimplification, but they're just talented. Right. It's just yeah. talent. I mean, right. look at look at what they've got. They've got a situation where they've got Paige Nielsen where they don't really even need to start her anymore, which is right. crazy. And then Houston, who was starting it right back for big portions of the last two years, was moved into the midfield. Um right. I'm assuming to get her uh, you know, on the field. Um Sullivan is fantastic. Rodman, I think, is beyond what yeah. almost Just, anybody thought right. that she was going to do this year. I mean, she's incredible. I, yeah. I really. When is the last I, time we have seen a 19 year old ever? Well, we didn't have a never. league. We didn't have yeah, a league never. for a 19 year old happened. to be doing that kind of stuff. This has literally never happened before. It's, it's, it's just crazy to. I, I'm a big fan of the maturity that players gain through. Mm-hmm. a college process plus they're playing against a higher level of competition for her to dis, you know essentially move from high school to the pro level and do what she's doing is absolutely incredible she's confident her touch is solid um she she doesn't seem to her defense thrown off her game is really high yeah, yeah. And, and you know what else was crazy about this game is her passing yeah was fantastic there were there were two or three times where she broke OL down with a pass. And you're thinking, this is not just some kid who right. can run past people. She's got talent. Mm-hmm. She is a legit soccer player. Yeah. And um, so I think, again, you know, not to oversimplify it, but they just have a ton of talent. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you've got even a player like McCown, who's the third or fourth player you're going to talk about. Right on that on that front line, who had a really good opportunity. This was Buhadi actually had a really good save on her in the first half. There was mm-hmm. one he counted beaten McNabb, and uh, and fired a really nice shot, and Buhadi got her hand down to it. But um, there's just so much talent on that front line. You've got Sullivan as that midfield anchor. It's it's really incredible, especially considering what Washington's lost in trades over the past couple of years to think that they still have this amount of talent is really quite incredible. Yeah. 
Um, or even you just think about the first goal, the first Washington goal where they go direct, they go stop, stop to Rodman. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the same goal that, um, has killed other teams in the past. North Carolina actually talked about it before their quarterfinal against Washington. Everyone knows that Sam Staub can do exactly that. And they still weren't able to stop it. Now, I don't know if there were some defensive press. We're, we're, we were watching this on the stream. Everybody saw the stream really hard sometimes to see what was going on <laughs> on the stream. Uh, that's a conversation for the off season, but um, I'm not sure if there were defensive press breaks down, breakdowns because ultimately you don't want Stop to have time to even do that to you. But once it was clear it was happening, the team did fall back into a defensive shape and there was just nothing they could do because yeah. you just can't stop Rodman when she's in space like that. Um, yeah, she ran right between, behind yeah. Yeah. Um, both McNabb and Barnes. Yeah, two very good players. Um, so on the flip side, on the flip side for the rain, um, Jess Fishlock said this week, it's been interesting, actually. I, I've, I've watched a couple interviews with Fishlock um, and in her press availability. And people have asked her a couple times about the field. And it seems like there was this narrative brewing, at least like on the media side of maybe, oh, maybe this field, maybe they've attuned themselves to the field. And it's actually an advantage for them. And something that, and Jess Fishlock was kind of resistant to that. She was resistant to that idea because she said that, yes, they're used to less space, but they're the kind of team that would be better with more. And so do you think a little bit, and this is on OL group, right? This is, this is on the ownership of the team that this group was stunted a little bit by the dimensions of what they were able to do on this field or even stunted by just how wet it was today. Yeah. I mean, I think the wetness could potentially take away from a skill factor and the advantage that, that they probably had there. I think that the size of the field may have had an impact when you look at how much room Megan Rapino did not have on corner kicks. Right. I mean, I, I was looking at that just thinking if I had to try to take a corner out of this amount of space, I would be really frustrated because mm-hmm. there's no way I'd be able to get the, the run up that I right. want. Yeah. And, but on the actual physical dimensions of the space, I'm not sure I a hundred percent agree with that just because OL is a little bit of an older team and I don't right. think they rely on pace as much. So I'm not I sure think that, that extra space helps them in the way they might think it would. I watch, I watch Megan Rapino on that field and I think this is her dream. Yeah. <laughs> she, right, she doesn't right. have to run on the wings. Right. She yeah. wants to play futsal, yeah, and, uh, you know, exactly. an ice hockey ring. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and I actually thought Rapino had a very good game. I, I really mm-hmm. do. I really did. Um, it just wasn't quite there on, on goal. Um, so, okay, maybe flip over then. So talking about the field, talking about being used to it, we saw a moment in this match where Laura Harvey made a little bit of a mistake. Now, again, when if, if you finish your chances, none of this matters. But in the game state that they were in, the game was tied. And Laura Harvey subbed Quinn out and Bethany Balser in. So subbed out the team's number mm-hmm. six for right. forward. And Washington scored pretty much immediately after that happened. Why do do you have a thought as to why a coach might do that in a tied game? Um, and, and do you think that made a difference defensively in that moment? I don't think it made a difference just because of the way that Sanchez's goal, goal was happened. scored. Sure. But I will say that when you take Quinn out, now Fishlock has to go further back, which right. takes her out of the attack. Um, it it kind of makes sense in that it was very easy for them to drop Marjan back into the midfield right. and then just play Balser up top. Right. I was a little more confused, I think, when Allie Watt came in mm-hmm. later. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, and I think the value in Quinn um, is that they allow Fishlock to push push further forward. Quinn also had a really good shot. Um, yes, yeah. It, and that was Bledsoe made a tremendous save. Mm-hmm. This was probably about five minutes before they came out. Yeah. Um, but a really, really nice, nice shot that Bledsoe had to do really well to keep mm-hmm. out. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, that's my whole thing, right? Is I'm not sure the rain really had a poor game. I think it just didn't quite happen for them um, because yeah, when you sit on possession, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. We knew that Washington was going to be a little bit more defensive. They were going to try to spring on the counter. And I think that, 
the rain thought that their spine would maybe hold a little bit better than it did centrally. Um, they did bring Danny Weatherholt on after that Quinn sub. So they did actually bring a six on, um, though Danny Weatherholt plays, I think a little bit higher on the field than Quinn does, um, just naturally. And obviously they were pushing for, for an equalizer because at right, that point they right. were losing. Um, so this OL rain team has, has gone through a lot of iterations this year. This is maybe beginning to wind down this, this conversation because they are the team now whose season is over certainly seems like a win now situation just based on the players that they had in on loan. Yeah. There's no real reason to think it's going to look like this next year. Is that pressure on or pressure off? Is it you're disappointed, right? But this was a weird year for them. And a lot of it was very successful, um, but did not end with any hardware. So I don't know, walking away from this as, as a rain fan, do you think to yourself, oh, this is a real wasted opportunity? Or do you think to yourself, well, this was going really poorly about three or four months ago. And we're just glad that we were able to turn things around. And just because we didn't get this one game doesn't mean that this wasn't a cool experiment that we did. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen this a number of times with teams that get into this this situation. I think we kind of felt the same about the 2019 North Carolina team Mm -hmm. when when that season was over, we knew that was going to be a different team. I think honestly, 2019, we talked about this a lot too. After that game, after that championship game, we knew Chicago was going to be a lot different different, team. So OL Reign's going to look a lot different, whether that's players going back to Europe, whether that's the expansion draft. And I honestly think there might be a player or two that retires off of that team. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when you add all those things up, this is going to be a weird year for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And even more so than last year, because now you've got two expansion teams coming in and, um, and being where you're at in a world cup Olympic cycle too. I think you're, you're going to see a heavier, um, heavier than normal number of players either retiring or taking a year off to have kids or, you know, even going overseas because typically the year after the Olympics is when players go overseas. Now we're, we're a year off in that cycle because of the Olympic delay, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes. Yeah. A lot of change. And I, I mean, that was always an interesting issue for the rain in general, because they were a team that more than probably any other team in the league um, had players completely fall out of the 18, just because they had so many, their rotation was, was so intense. And so they didn't really have a, set a completely set starting system. They kind of got through that last part of the season by, by rotating a little bit. Um, and that worked out quite well for them. Um, okay. So then speaking of, of off season acquisitions, maybe flipping back over to the spirit for a second. Um, it didn't always make exact sense. The trading for Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet in this past mm-hmm. off season, because they already had a defense that was playing quite well. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about really like, right, well they don't, in right, they don't even have Paige Nielsen on, on the field anymore. Right. As a starter, but Emily Sonnet came up really big in this match and kind of reminded everybody what a good center back she is. Um, well, and I thought, yeah, because okay, I thought ahead, the one yeah, thing yeah. that was really impressive with her today was her um, last ditch defending mm-hmm. the blocked her shots. Willing, yeah. Yes. Her yeah. willingness to throw her body in front of stuff made a yeah. huge difference for them because there was that period for maybe 20 minutes when the rain just decided they were going to step on the gas and throw everything they had and, and go for it. And I thought she was a huge part of them staying in that game late. Yep. Agreed. Um, so yeah, so the rain will, will rue their chances and maybe a little bit of tactical things and the rain, the actual rain <laughs> falling from the sky and all of that sort of stuff. Um, just not their night. All right, my final question about the Washington spirit, and you can tell me if you agree with me or not, but they made it to the final. Really unlikely, even just with the the off-the-field stuff from them this year, uh, their coach being fired midseason, which did really change the way that they play, I think, for the better. Um, A lot of, of inner turmoil. Their team is in an open ownership dispute right now. There's a lot going on, and they are quite young. Now, the the off-the-field stuff doesn't quite apply, but when I watched the Spirit today, the team they reminded me of a little bit was the 2016 Western New York Flash. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. And then I was like, because they are a young, really talented team that kind of surprisingly has kind of gotten to the finish line early a little bit. Um, 
What does it say about the future of this program, assuming that ownership stuff gets resolved in the offseason, that they made it all the way this year? Yeah, I think it's impressive. I think if, if you were to go back and listen to what we talked about in the preseason, I think we both had Washington as the number three team. So it's not... But they're playing like so they sh- differently than we thought they yeah. were going to. Yeah. The, no, it's true. Yeah. Um, but it's also not like they shot the moon for their talent. No. Um, no. I think Rodman was a pleasant surprise. Sanchez, we, we saw in 2020 what Sanchez could do. We knew from, was it 2019, what Hatch could do. Sullivan staying so, mostly healthy, I think, was huge for them as well. Right. Yeah. And the defense playing very well, as you mentioned, in 2020. Yeah. So those pieces were all there. I think what's interesting is what you brought up is that they brought Sonnet and O'Hara in and then did as well as they did because I thought that was going to be the huge tricky part was how do you integrate these players when you already essentially have a back line? Yeah. And they did it and they've got that talent. They've all been through something together too, Mm -hmm. which is a huge thing for that cohesiveness and that team bond. Um. So, yeah, the, I think the sky's the limit for the next five years for this group. Yeah, agreed. They've built something really special. Um, so talking about, you know, you know, salute, a hearty salute to O.L. Reign. Um, thought for a moment there that this might be their year. Uh, didn't quite have it. And also the Spirit have kind of had their number this year, too. So it might just be a yep. matchup issue, you know. Um, so let's flip over to the next game because you talk about teams that have gone through some stuff together. I'd say that both teams in this, this next game have gone through some stuff together. And there was this idea of rising above adversity, I think, from both, both squads. Now, this game might be the biggest upset in NWSL postseason history, to be completely honest. Not just because it's a number four beating a number one, which has happened before. It was that 2016 Western New York flash that took down the number one seed. Mm-hmm. But looking at just everything else, right? And we need to probably talk about before this game started, before getting into the game itself. Um, so Chicago Red Stars have been carrying injuries all year. And actually, we'll get to Portland because they had some significant absences in this this game as well. Um, but... Chicago lost Julie Ertz in the first game of the regular season. She's not been quick to come back, right? Post-Olympics. They lose Alyssa Nair during the Olympics. Nair's been, uh, Nair's been with the team. She, uh, she has been in Chicago this whole time, but just has not been ready to make a return. Um, not worth it to risk it. So she's been out. Now, they've, in spite of this, and we talked about this last week and the week before and the week before that, they figured out this style of play that really works for mm-hmm. them. And in fact, in losing some of those really talented pieces, there's been some clarity of thought, I think, a little bit in this final form of the Chicago Red Stars. The night before this game. So this was Saturday evening, I think around 8 p.m. It was late. Yeah, it was Central late. Central time. We find out that Mallory Pugh, who has been their Chicago, she's Chicago's MVP candidate, right? is not available for this game. She is out due to COVID protocol. Now, I'm going to give all of the available information that we have. Chicago declined to answer (coughs) non-soccer questions after this game. All we know about Mallory Pugh is that she is under COVID protocol. It was her and her teammate, Kayla Sharples. Kayla Sharples immediately made a post about how she is fully vaccinated against COVID-19. She got very unlucky. She said she's even boosted. She's heartbroken, wishing the team on. We didn't hear anything from Mallory Pugh before this game. The other thing we know about Mallory Pugh is that she turned down a U.S. Women's National Team call-up to go to Australia. Now, we'll talk about that more in the second segment. Some of the conjecture there is that Australia does have a vaccine mandate. Now, this is a difficult conversation to have because you don't want to talk about things that aren't true. And people are going very far out of their way not to confirm or deny anything here, but it's relevant. It is relevant. So John, tell me what you were thinking when you saw that Mallory Pugh was not going to be available for this game. Well, I think I probably, if I'm being honest, made the assumption that a lot of people made was that 
you know, she, she's probably declined to get vaccinated. And uh, I suppose that's her choice, but it's a choice that puts other people at risk if, it, if that's the case. And it's a choice that has consequences. Um, Rory did say, Roy Dames did say that, that both Sharples and Pew were asymptomatic or symptom free, I think was the exact phrasing that he used. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, um, I suppose you could still wonder whether that means they tested positive or were a close contact. Right. Um, but as far as I know, the league protocol on vaccinated players who are close contacts is that they don't have to be quarantined at that point. So that leads me to believe that they, they tested positive again, listen, the team, the players, the league could clear all of the assumptions up right. in two seconds if they wanted to, but they're not interested um, in that. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, based on what I know, and I'm not a scientific expert, but that fully vaccinated people often test positive without symptoms simply because the virus has entered, you know, their, their nose and throat and, uh, the, you know, the body has started producing antibodies and is fighting the disease as it's supposed to, but you still test positive while not showing the symptoms. Right. Um, so again, I'm not a medical expert, but uh, you know that may have been what what led to Sharple's positive test. If that's in fact what happened, but uh, it's if I, let me just say it this way. Let me say it broadly. Mm-hmm. I think that it's selfish for anybody who chooses not to be vaccinated, unless it's for some sort of medical concern or inability mm-hmm. to do so, because there's a lot of people, myself included, who've spent the last year and a half living uh, a fairly isolated existence trying to keep myself safe, keep my family safe, keep my loved ones safe. And it's been very hard on everybody. And this entire process would have gone a lot faster and would be going faster if people chose to get the vaccine and and chose to stay more isolated than they did when the vaccine wasn't available. It's, It's a selfish choice, in my opinion. And that is what it is. Yeah. I mean, also a lot of people died. You know, yeah, we're no, my... a million before this is all said and done. Yep. Right. Just so, in the United States. Like John, I, you know, I'm not trying to say anything definitively. I'm only going to speak generally, but I will say this. The thought that I had today was actually about the Chicago Red Stars and them going to Utah and playing in that bubble in 2020. And that bubble, they weren't able to go on hikes. They were not allowed to go on walks outside of the hotel. They were looked at the training pitch, I guess, wherever they, their morning coffee cart, a cafeteria, and the inside of hotel walls for the better part of 30 plus days. And they did that because that was what they were willing to do to play games in 2020. And past the larger moral implications of getting vaccinated because it's the right thing to do. It affects your ability to do your job. And I don't know exactly how we got from that to this is maybe the disconnect that I'm seeing here in one team. But again, we don't know. I would love for it to be cleared up. Probably not going to happen. So anyway, (laughs) that's that. They don't have Mallory Pugh for this game. (laughs) But can I add one? Let me add yeah, one thing ahead, about Sharples, ahead, yeah. though, because the one thing that I was curious about is if they had made the plan to go to the three six one prior to knowing that they weren't going to have Pew and Sharples, and if they did, was Sharples going to be the other one in the three back? That's a really good question. Um, well, the other main absence here is Casey Kruger, who um, yeah, not not COVID related, is a different different out with a different sort of illness um yeah i i don't know because obviously in a three back the way they've done that in the past it would be kruger davidson and gordon um who are all able to do that but without her available that's a really good question yeah i don't know i think now let's get into the game because there's some really interesting tactical stuff here from chicago this was maybe these last two games have maybe been the best coached games of rory dame's career to be completely honest um so Chicago wins. We haven't even gotten to that part yet. Yeah. Chicago wins this game two to nothing. They pitch a shutout. They get two goals against the Portland Thorns in Providence Park. This is the first time Chicago has beaten Portland 
in Providence Park since 2013. This is the first time any of the players on this current squad have beaten the Portland Thorns in Providence Park. So how did Chicago do this? They crammed the midfield for sure. They start Danny Colaprico in addition to Sarah Woldmo, Morgan Gatra, and Vanessa DiBernardo. They had Colaprico playing in a more advanced position than she usually yeah, does. Yeah, but really just with the intention of playing defense, playing defense from an advanced position. The whole goal here was to completely disrupt. Again, we talk about this a million times, what Portland was trying to do. Portland famously plays with four people in the midfield. Um, They took Christine Sinclair out of the game entirely, um, which is something that they've never really been able to do before. And I, what happened in the attack, I'm going to be honest, John, this happened about three or four hours ago. I'm still not sure exactly what happened to the attack. Just destiny, luck. What, what the hell? What happened, John? Tell me. Let me ask you this, which I think clarifies it. If, if Kjo had not scored the goal that she did, and if Waldmo had not scored, so either Bixby saves them or they go just wide, how many good chances would you say Chicago had created on the night? None. Exactly. Because yeah. neither of those were good chances. Right. They didn't generate one good chance yeah. the entire night and won the game two to zero. Yeah. Um, really just soccer being a, a crazy game. Um, and listen, and that's not to take anything away. Their, their defensive no. effort was incredible. Oh, like yeah. The, the physical and mental effort and concentration you have to put forward for 90 minutes to keep a clean sheet against yes. Portland in Portland and missing maybe your four best players right. is incredible. Um, so that's not to take anything away, but offensively, if we're being honest, they didn't really create much of anything on the night. No, but this is their whole thing, right? Is they just set themselves up to, to get those unlikely, unlikely chances. So, you know, they got the one turnover and goal uh, last week. You think about the own goal run that they went on mid season, right? Um, the whole thing, everything starts with the defense. And I think you saw that in the first half hour of this game, first 30 minutes, you could see, and, and this is, I do think the growth of the Red Stars is the whole goal was not to concede, mm-hmm. but it actually really felt like a plan rather than feeling like a concession that they were making, because mm-hmm. this is how they play everybody. Um, and yeah, they, they, again, they clogged the midfield. They, the poor rookie Tatum Malazzo was having a lot of trouble with Sophia Smith, but there was just enough help from inside um, and, and Smith wasn't able to really capitalize, um, that they were able to hold them off. And so I'm watching this first half hour and I'm thinking this is actually going great for Chicago, but I don't know how they hold on. I don't know how you just give Portland chance after chance after chance and then mm-hmm. have nothing go in. And I think the answer is you score a goal <laughs> and, and that's what happened. And, and so I think that their job got significantly easier once they got that initial breakthrough, because then Portland was the team that was getting frustrated. Um, it was a pretty physical game. I, I, the ref was not interested, I think, in giving Portland a lot of help in this one. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of decipher because I think you can say that this is what Chicago has been working towards. It is. I think you can say that similar to OL rain, Portland had, the, the bulk of the chances and not only chances, not only shots, but, but shots on goal. But a lot of those went straight to Cassie Miller. Yeah. Or we're off frame. Yeah. It, not good. Portland had a weird game. And so this yep. is the one where you say, okay, Portland was missing both crystal Dunn. big, big, big congratulations to crystal Dunn. I'm so happy for her. She's pregnant with her first child. That is awesome. She was not available for this game. They had a freak accident with Lindsay Horan who I think maybe did some slight damage to her eye socket in training this week. You can't mess with that. It's not worth it. You can't. So Lindsay Haram was in this position where it would have been very dangerous for her to play this weekend, but she probably would have been fine for the final. So they are without two of their preferred starting midfielders and both of their eights. So 
their midfield is kind of stuck in first gear throughout this match. And I just have to think that that makes Chicago's game plan a lot easier for them, right? The one thing I was interested in was because we talked about this multiple times this year about how well Portland did when they were missing their national team players. And I went back and I was looking at their first 11s in July and August when the Olympians would have been away. And they still had uh, Angela Salem. They still had uh, Rocky Rodriguez, but they were playing Celeste uh, Brewery during those, those games. And I just wondered, you know, they made that, that change from that dynamic. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there was something that I missed if she had been hurt or maybe she was carrying something late in the year, but that was interesting to kind of disrupt that midfield that had worked for them over the summer when they were missing Haran and Dunn anyways, um, you know, to whatever extent that that played a role in the fact that they just couldn't get stuff going uh, today. Yeah. Um, so not the ending that Mark Parsons was looking for um, with this group. So this was kind of an unceremonious end to that era for the Thorns. A little bit of a plateauing, I think you could say, um, at the end of the regular season, though they did do enough to wrap up the shield with, I think, like three games to go. Like they they did quite well there. Um, I don't know. Is this Portland underachieving? Or I don't know, because they <laughs> right. won the shield. They yeah. won the ICC. Right. They won the Challenge right. Cup. Right. Is it just really hard to run the table? I don't know. It is. And, you know, listen, I don't think when they won it in 2018, they were the better team. So sometimes you're not 17. Sometimes you're not the better team. Right. And, and it is what it is. Uh, That's, that's soccer. That is. Um, So this is another team kind of looking towards the future for them. Uh, They have some really young, exciting prospects on this team. They're also a team that has some, some key players who are, who are getting older. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't seen really seen any indication from Becky Sauerbrunn or Christine Sinclair that they're thinking about retiring. I think both of them feel pretty good. I think Becky Sauerbrunn has had a good tail end of the club season, to be completely honest. Um, but now it feels maybe a little bit like a picturing complete. When you look at a coach like Mark Parsons, who has done so well with this group, they only won one championship in his tenure. They won a couple shields. Um, so, or one shield? Actually, I don't, I'm, I'm having some trouble remembering now. Two shields, 2016 and 2021. 20, uh, so they won two shields. They won one championship in 2017. Is that successful with this group? It's a lot of winning. Um, I don't know. What do you think, John? I think it's a fair question. Um, I would say that... It, it, it is in the fact that I think just North Carolina was better in 2017, 2018 and yeah. And 2018. Well, that's true. So maybe do you blame, do you blame kind of an iconic era of another team for being. Yeah. I mean, that's who denied them right. Right. Two out of the, two out of the three times. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you look at a very successful tenure, but also maybe some stuff left on the table a little bit Um, without really knowing what happens next for them. It's been reported by the athletic that Portland does have the hire hired um, that that person is going to be Rian Wilkinson, who is a former Thorns player and who has been an assistant coach uh, for the Canadian women's national team and, or the, on, on the youth level and did some assistant coaching with England as well. But it's going to look very different. It's just going to look very I'll, different. I'll tell you, I think that's going to be the real marker of what Parsons did with this group because I think it's, I think it's much harder to manage a team with this much talent than most people realize. Right. And you could, think, you could see things go south in a real hurry under a different manager just because of the amount of talent that you have. And then you're going to realize just the ability to manage that locker room and that pool of talent. It's similar to what happened in, in, in Tacoma right. with, with Harvey and, and the talent on the rain, because we saw the rain had 
a lot of that talent going back to last year and couldn't make it work right uh, until kind of midseason. I think you know w- when Leite had the team over the summer, it started to come together. But um, managing a team with a lot of talent, a lot of big international personalities, is much more difficult than I think people realize. It's a big job. It's a very unique job in the club uh, club women's soccer landscape. And yeah, it'll it'll be fascinating to see what comes next. So. Our final is set, the Washington Spirit versus the Chicago Red Stars. This is our first true neutral site final since 2017, since Orlando in 2017. That was the last time. I mean, you can count the Challenge Cup, but I mean like a a normal NWSL challenge or or, uh, championship. First time in a while, it's going to be a true neutral site. Who you got, John? I don't know. I mean... (laughs) If Chicago comes out and tries to play, I think I'd pick Washington because yeah, but they're not going to do that. But, <laughs> yeah. Right, and it was so funny because you know people people don't don't get to see this, but you know you tried to ask Rory about this in the game in the in the post game call uh, tonight after the game about not getting the fullbacks pulled out, and he didn't want to engage on that at all. Right, uh, even though I think it's probably largely true that. Uh, if they go forward. Now, I will tell you the one thing. Staub, as you mentioned earlier, has that ability to play that ball in. Mm-hmm. And I would say for all of the many very good things that Sarah Gordon does on a soccer field, she is vulnerable to a long ball over her over back shoulder. Yeah, yeah, And and she struggles to deal with that. And if Washington can can drop a couple of balls into that space, that could could be a real problem. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a true test for for that back line. Um, the availability, gosh, can't talk. The availability of Kruger will be um, a factor, though. I don't know. I don't know exactly what what Chicago's looking at there. Um, yeah, I think you would go with Washington, right? But I haven't picked really Chicago once this whole time. <laughs> right, so right, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think they have the blueprint. I think Chicago has the blueprint. And they also, Washington is one of the few teams that Chicago actually had a winning record against this year. So they've got the recent history on their side as well. They, so, they have, we've talked about this before, but they have such a clear cut identity. Yeah. And this goes all the way back to 2014 when they had no talent and right. no disrespect to those players, but they just did not have the talent that other NWSL teams had and they would grind out results and they, missed the playoffs by a point or by Mm -hmm. a tiebreaker or something. And then, you know, have built this team literally one or two players at a time over the past six, seven years. That identity is crystal clear Mm -hmm. in that team to the point that we've talked about this before. They don't even care about the first half of the regular season anymore No, because it's just kind of like, well, we're not going to worry about this. We'll, you know, we'll get enough points to stay in it. Then we'll make our run at the end and then we'll get to the playoffs and figure it out. They know exactly who they are. Um, so I think that that having that in your back pocket now it can go south as we saw against North Carolina. Cause once you give up a goal or two, that whole identity goes out the window. Right. But, um, but they know who they are and I think they know exactly how they're going to play. Yeah. I will say that I, you know, I'm, I can't pretend that I'm fully objective here, but I have some decent reasoning for hopefully wanting it to be Chicago. Um, which is the going back to saying that I think Washington has a number of very good years ahead of them. And this will be the third final that Chicago finds themselves in, in as many years. I would love for a group there to finally break through um, because that's what you want for players who do the work to, to get there. So, so we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll go opposite. I think Chicago is going to do it this year. I think there's an edge to them that we haven't seen before. There is a mental edge that I'm not sure that they've always quite had. Um and I think that that does come from that clarity of purpose. And I think that that can be a valuable thing. That's what took the dash all the way to the challenge cup last year. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the final game Two up and comers. There will be a new NWSL champion for the first time in a very long time, which is exciting. Um, it's going to be on big CBS noon Eastern in Louisville. The next time we see you guys, we will have a winner. Um, so we'll be back with part two. This was went a little bit long as well. It should, cause we're talking about the, the main event this weekend, but, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the U S women's national team and that roster that's going to Australia in part two. So, uh, stay tuned.
Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by John Halloran. Real quick, give us a rating and a review. Say nice things on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a whole lot. It helps people find us. We've been trucking along in a difficult year, and it's always really nice for that to come through, help people find the podcast. So this probably is going to be short. We went long on the on the first segment because that was probably the most important thing. But, you know, we got to talk U.S. a little bit because that is what's happening after the final. They're going to be playing two games in Australia, and they're taking a little bit of a different group. Um, There was some conjecture that it might be a group of of young players. It seemed pretty obvious, to be completely honest, in the friendlies against South Korea that maybe there were some people that needed a break. Still some players coming back from injury. Obviously, Crystal Dunn is pregnant. So just a little bit of a different group. So what we have here is we have three goalkeepers, Bella Bixby, Jane Campbell, and Casey Murphy. Defenders are Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Emily Fox, Sophia Huerta, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Emily Sonnet. In midfield, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Katerina Macario, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. Forwards, Bethany Balser, Ashley Hatch, uh, Margaret Purse, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams, and Morgan Weaver which is a little bit of a surprise, but like we said, Mallory Pugh did opt out, as did Trinity Rodman, also not reported as to why no one is interested in giving that information out. So, John, thoughts? No, I'm kidding. Um, just in general. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, let's go, but let's just go line by line, I guess is probably sure. the best way to do this. So, so goalkeepers, um, no vets here, really. I mean, the, the most right. caps is Jane Campbell, who has seven. Bixby and Murphy have none. Um, backstory also is that A.D. Franch's wife yep. is, is very close to having a baby, so one has to imagine that that was a big factor in her not wanting to travel across the globe for two weeks. Um, yeah, so do you think we might see a keeper get their first cap on this run? Well, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's a possibility. You're probably not going to give both of the both of the starts to Campbell. Um, I will say that I haven't talked to Casey Murphy in her, I think it was her first camp in 2017. She, even then, was very adamant that she wasn't there just to be happy, that she was there to mm-hmm. compete for the job, which is a pretty gutsy statement. Um, when you're 22, 23 coming right. into that team with that pool of keepers, especially at that point in a world cup cycle. Uh, but she had a fantastic season this year and, uh, you know, she's obviously got a bright future and definitely could be one of those players that's in the mix for that job over the next cycle. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Bledsoe could, could be in that mix. I think. Uh, pretty easily as well yeah Bledsoe not being called up um is a little bit of a of a surprise just in that she has been in camp before um Mm -hmm. so we're looking at you know Campbell has been in camp multiple times obviously and has played some games Murphy has been in camp and has not played games Bixby I think has this is her first trip to camp I think this is her first call-up so if I had to guess who might get their first camp, I think it would probably be Murphy um, just based on sort of that progression. You don't want to throw a keeper in there um, before they're ready. That's not helpful to anybody. So um, yeah, I, I like Casey Murphy a lot. I think her shot stopping is pretty incredible. She is famously very tall. Um, her footwork is good and she's confident. Like you said, in, in behind good defenses and less good ones, it seems like she has, uh, a wealth of authority back there that I think is really useful, especially in international play when you don't get as much time with your defense to kind of gel. So I think that's a fun group. I do think that's a fun group. I would be disappointed if Campbell got both starts. I bet she'll get one. I bet we'll see Murphy get one. Um, excited for Bella Bixby, who has a very high ceiling, is still pretty young and a little bit new. She only really got she only got the starting job for Portland halfway through this season. Yeah, it, it's just a reminder that this stuff takes some time. And as excited as I am for the prospect of Bixby's talent level, you want to get that right because you don't want to get ahead of yourself and mess with uh, a player's mentality too soon. So I think that um, good good steps good steps in the goalkeeper pool. Um, next defenders. I think the name that sticks out to me is probably Sophia Huerta just in that this is her first camp in a number of years and it's back at outside back. Yeah. Um, and I know you, wild is that. yeah, you talked to her, John, I know it was like last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you could just elaborate on 
why you think that this call in feels a little bit more promising maybe than the ones in the past. Yeah. Just speaking with her and the pieces up on, on the equalizer site, but she just feels comfortable and confident for the first time. And she was at that position back in 2017 when she was first getting called in, she was playing forward for Chicago and then getting thrown at outside back at the international level. And then she went through the whole rigmarole of first trying to convince, you know, Rory in Chicago that she should play outside back, then getting pushing for a trade to Houston, which didn't end up resulting in her getting any time there. And then eventually getting another trade to the rain, but at that point being, you know, fully a 10 Mm -hmm. or a winger over the past four years, I suppose this is the first time she's playing right back consistently at the club level in the NWSL. And she feels comfortable there. Um, I'll also add one thing that was a little bit of a surprise when I spoke to her is that she said that Alana cook had a lot to do with making her feel comfortable back there, which I thought was a little bit surprising considering how young cook is. Right. Um, And new to the league, you know, right. And cooks on this roster. Yeah. And so I think that that speaks highly of, uh, of what uh, that, that partnership that they formed in Tacoma. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of really collaborative defensive work in, in the league this year, where I think that the defenses that have, have meshed the best have been people who are very interested in doing the extra work and taking the extra step to get on the same page with their teammates And for some of them, that's even spending time off the field, making sure you're talking both on and off the field. Um, And so it's good to, I do think it's also really positive to have those little connections in camp, especially when you're bringing people in who have less experience with the team. Um, I think that stuff is huge. It not only helps them in training and, and theoretically if they get into a game, but just those we've seen with the U S time and time again, that the bonds and the chemistry that you can connect with, with other people can be really useful, whether you knew someone on the youth level or you play with them for club or anything like that. Um, I think that's also been a theme in the league this year. I've seen a lot of, of real, a lot of drum beating uh, on the idea of the chemistry takes time. And I think obviously the international game is not set up for that, but when you do have a group, that does not have as many through lines to the past iteration of the U S these things are good to have. Um, I, I hope that they both get time in these games to be completely honest. Um, I think that Australia is a really good defensive test in that they are not the true, like the number one best team in the world, but they're very, very talented in their attack. And so I think that that is, is a good, good test for, for new defenders. We should mention too that there really are only two outside true true I know, outside isn't that backs funny? on the roster. Still, they, still, they better yeah. play them there because you know, as you mentioned, Emily Sonnet looked good as a center back. She's always looked better as a center back, yes. and they've always kind of tried to push this square peg into a round hole, right? And um, and there's got, no indication that they're bringing her in as a center back at all, even here. Yeah, plenty. Of they've them. got five yeah. center backs on this right. roster and yeah. two outside backs. Yes. Um, which is funny because outside backs in the league have been great this year. Right. The pre right. Asco's had a very good year. Um, I know that there might be reasons why us might be done with this player, but Megan Klingenberg had a very good year. Um, it's like some decisions have already been made in some ways. And I think that that can get a team into trouble. Um, no, I had that same thought and it is pretty funny. Um, you know, you know, if crystal Dunn was available, she'd be right in that group still. So <laughs> She said, yeah, no, I mean, thank you, know, you. Carson Pickett, you could make a case yeah, for exactly. uh, Sarah Gordon, too. I think even though yeah. she's played mostly center back for Chicago's uh, a little bit better as an outside back. Yeah. Um, so moving on to midfielders, definitely, it seems like they went for a little bit of stability here with mm-hmm. the Olympians that they're taking on this trip. Uh, but they got, you know, got one new face, one new face in here, uh, which is Ashley Sanchez. She is the the player. Um, she's the only uncapped player in this group. And I think that's very exciting. Sanchez played with the youth teams. She was part of the U twenties. She was considered a, a U.S. youth prospect when she came through college, came into the league. Um, hasn't been her time yet, but has been rewarded. Do you think she gets playing time in this? I mean, is that a balance of deciding how much you want to 
come like I, I don't think the U.S. wants to lose both of these games, but this is maybe the most pressure off they're going to get this year. I don't know. What do you think, John? Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's t- that's such a tough group. If you're yeah. looking at at all three lines or all four lines, if you count the keepers here, the midfielders are the most consistent compared to where the team has been over the past five, six years. Well, it's where the team got significantly younger in 2016 and 2017, meaning that they're not really aging out any of these players. Right. So, and I think you're probably going to want to get Macario a ton of time. Yeah. In this camp. And I think you're going to probably want to get Sullivan. Yes. As much time as possible too. So I think that makes things tighter. Um, Sullivan's the kind of player that if you talk to her for 10 minutes, you think this, this could be the captain yeah. of the team at yes. some point in the future. And she wants so it too. It was immediate. Huge yeah. leadership yeah. potential on that side. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, I think that this is the chance to get, I mean, and again, fingers crossed for her and for the U S that she stays healthy because that has been her Achilles heel this whole time. She's the whole package and the timing with her injuries has just never been good. Just never been good. Um, But she's only 25. I forget that a lot. She, she is not, I always think I'm always like, of course she's probably like 29, right? Because you listen to her talk, but um, no, she's got, she's got time to work her way in, in terms of snubs. Again, this is a player that has a deep history with the team. I don't know what the thought process is here other than just tough group to break into. But Morgan Gatra had another mm-hmm. amazing game this weekend. Um, seems a bit weird that she's not in this conversation, right? And and Sullivan yeah. is, is maybe where I'm at with it. You could throw Waldmo in there too because yeah. their partnership has right. been incredible. I'll, too, I'll go off on a big limb here. Maybe not that big, but I feel like people maybe didn't see it. McCaskill had a terrific season yeah. for Louisville. You don't get called in off of a team usually that's doing – Poorly, poorly right but unless you're best. emily fox and you're the only true outside back <laughs> in the whole pool yeah i suppose yeah. but mccaskill was probably the best player on the field for louisville like 80 yeah. percent of the times i saw them play this year yeah it's a tough group to break into we all know this um man with someone like a you even have weirdness of that she was allocated and she's been pulled off of the allocated mm-hmm. system and i don't know if the u.s is reluctant to get her back into that system i don't know how much literal bonuses and money come into this too, the business of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a strong group. That's probably the strongest core that they have in this whole, whole group. But yeah, I think it is just true that they're not really having anybody age out for the next cycle. So it's just going to be working other players in to help with their, in, their clear imbalances that they had this year, mostly in the defensive midfield. Um, they have a lot of really brilliant attacking midfielders. So moving on to forwards, uh, big shout out to Margaret purse for being called in as a forward. I know that is the ultimate goal for everybody who loves watching her play. Um, feels like a reward for her play as a winger. Um, we'll get into this more when we see the U S actually play. But the thought that I had wa- looking at this is after the South Korea games, I think everybody was kind of floating with this idea of, what if the U S played with a false nine? What if they played with a two front? What if they messed with the formation a little bit with the retiring of Carly Lloyd? Seems like they're just trying to find another nine, right? With the players that they're calling in. Yeah, maybe I I will say this as somebody who intently followed and even traveled to a fair number of the games between the 2015 and 2019 cycle is it was not, a linear progression to finding either the formation or the player pool. Yeah. Right. And it was almost like Allie long as a sweeper. Right. It was like Ellis decided to try every idea that she thought might not work before she eventually got to the idea that led them to the, to the championship in 2019, which they settled in, in late July of 2017. So Mm -hmm. they spent a good two years of just saying, Hey, let's just do all this other stuff yeah so i don't really know i think we saw enough of black coast teams whether in kansas city or in the rain that he wants to play some variation of a four three three right he's the most comfortable five one um it was probably what you well i guess that's probably what you'd call his kansas city teams um but good coaches 
are going to find a way to put their best 11 on the field mm-hmm. and to do it in a way that maximizes their talent. So we could see the team go back to a two front for sure. Um, or, or maybe even something inventive, a box midfield, a diamond in the midfield, um, a three back. You, we, right, we don't know. Yeah. Um, and it's not completely fair even for me to say that he's most comfortable with the four, three, three based on what we've seen, because look in Kansas city, you had holiday and Rodriguez. So of right. course you were going to play something that put them right next to each other right. in the 10 and the nine. Um, and when he went into, into Tacoma, he had a group that had played together for years and years and years. And so he probably put them in what was most comfortable for them. Right. And then when he came into the U S job, that was a team that had just won a world cup in a four, three, three. Right. So maybe he gets to the point a year from now where he's looked at the pool and he says, yeah, let's play four, four, two or something else. Okay. So this is really my last question. I think you talk about this is, it's a good, it's a good seg because nonlinear progression, really young group, some, some new faces uh, who are well-deserving. Thank God. And I would say, well, yeah, let's talk about it. So, <laughs> so the, the first thought that I had, though, looking at this roster was, I don't think there's any like pat on the back call-ups here. I don't think that these call-ups are a uh, congratulations for doing so well in the league and you're going to get this U.S. call-up. I think that all of these players are legitimately getting looked at here. If you look at who it is that's getting called up and how and, and where they play. Is this real? Or come January mm, camp, is yeah. it going to be the same crew? What do you think? It's listen, Vlatko in a lot of ways has the toughest job in the world because he has to look at players, whether that be Megan Rapino or Alex Morgan or Tobin Heath and make a decision. Are we going to start moving towards a younger generation of players or are yeah. we going to keep calling these players up? Because once you do it, I'm not sure you can go back. At, at, at this moment now they'll always be happy to come in but it does change the coach player relationship when they start feeling iced out and we've seen that before sure we saw that with Krieger getting iced out all yeah. the way for, for basically a two-year period yeah up until the camp before the world cup and all yeah. of a sudden it was like well come back because we spent two years and we couldn't find a better player right and you know look Ellis did this a number of times she did it when she moved on from Whitney Engen as well without right. knowing who the next center back was. Yeah. We saw Casey Kruger play center back in two international yeah. friendlies because they hadn't found Abby Dahlkemper yet. Right. So these are really difficult positions because you could be bringing all of these players into camp and having the veterans beat the younger players out for spots month in and month out. But then your younger players have never gotten any international experience. And, I think, and then you're in a real pickle come 2023. Yeah. And I also think a little bit, right, because sure, some of these players are maybe better than the younger players now, but we got two years to go. Right. Yep. And, and the, t- the players, those players have to get better through working through that. And I think also, I'm sure Vladko feels very strongly. And I think Kate Markgraf feels this way as well, is you still need a leadership through line. Mm-hmm. But you have you to do. figure out who those players are and how they're leading. Because someone who's a great locker room presence who isn't getting it done in training every day might not be the best for this group in terms of sort of being hungry for it. And this is a thing that will be really interesting to watch for Vladko Andonovsky. Because Vladko is a nice guy, right? When he gets hired, we all said, nicest guy in soccer. Yep. yep. All the players say that about him too. All the players think he's really great. Jill Ellis made some enemies in Mm -hmm. her managing style. But it seemed pretty consistent that she thought that worked. She thought telling Megan Rapinoe to stay home for a couple months made Rapinoe come back better. She thought that benching Carly Lloyd made Carly Lloyd come back better. She thought that moving Julie Ertz around was going to help utilize what Julie Ertz is doing on the field. That was really hard on those players. benching her for a bit. Yeah. Um, that was hard on those players. And some of those players don't have great feelings about Jill Ellis now, but how do you retain that edge and stay nice? And so I think that that's what Vladko also has in front of him here. Um, 
I think it's a shame that Mallory Pugh and Trinity Rodman turned this opportunity down, especially Rodman, to be completely honest. Um, because that is also a player that you think needs to get worked in immediately based on what she's been able to do. Um, but she chose to decline. So that's also something that he has to deal with, right? Because it's Australia. That's where the World Cup is going to be played. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, listen, well. we're stuck in this speculation mode, but if it's yeah. a vaccination issue, it's pretty likely they're not going to be allowed into the country Yeah. in, in two years, or is it, I guess it's less than two months. years. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Very unlikely to change in yes. a year and a half. So that's part of the uncertain future for the team. I'm really excited for these games, though. Um, we've been waiting for these Australia games for a while. The game they played, in, well, one of the games they played in the Olympics was really fun. Um, I love the Matildas. I love watching their project, too. Um, I think that that's going to be a very good time. Uh, as I understand it, um, the Chicago players, player, Tierna Davidson, and, and the Washington players will all be leaving just right after the championship. So they're going to play and then hop on a plane and those are going to be played over the Thanksgiving week, which is a lot. But I think that's also why you bring a, a young group as well. So we'll see. It should be fun. Uh, any other thoughts about this week, John? I think we've pretty well exhausted it. It's been another long episode. I'm excited to go to Louisville or Louisville yeah, same. next week. Louisville. 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 I can do it. Louisville. I can drop. I can drop yeah. down. And, once you yeah. get down there, once you get down there, it gets a lot easier. So. Um, yeah, no, I'm very excited too. big. I hope there's a big group driving down from Chicago. I'll be one of them. Um, and we'll be back. We'll have a winner next time. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Shout out to blue wire podcast, our distributor. This has been the equalizer podcast. We'll see you next time.